0: Well, good morning, Calvary Grace. I'd like to invite folks in to uh, come take a seat, please. And it looks like there's quite a few folks here. So if if you're able, let's try to sort of press up to make room uh, for people at the back of the church. Uh, Let me hand it over to Michael Fontanelli here for uh, our morning announcements. Well good morning everyone. I'd just like to point you to your paper
1: bulletin that you got from the front or in front of you there is a QR code where you could access the order of service online. The first is the 2023 tax receipt. Our treasurer Leslie Meadows has asked me to let you know to email her if your mailing address or email address has changed in the last year. Her email is giving at calvarygrace.ca And this year, we will be emailing the 2023 tax receipts. Unless otherwise specified, uh, you could just ask her if you have any questions or anything. A couple more notes. Uh, This Tuesday is the Women's Bible Study. Uh, They will be studying the Book of Philippians. There are two dates, uh, two times, uh, three times, and three locations. On Tuesday at 7 p.m. here in Central Calvary Grace Luther Hall, 730 at South Calgary at McLeod Residence. And on Saturday, January 13, at Air 10 a.m. at the Gamble Residence. On Friday, there is Life Group, which is Living in Fellowship. It's our young adults, young professional group. You're welcome to join in Luther Hall. Friday at 7 p.m., they'll be studying the topic of family. You're welcome to come and bring your friends. And, um, oh, I forgot. Also... For giving today, there will be an opportunity that the plates will be passed around. There's an envelope in front of you if you wish to choose to give by check or cash. You could also give online via credit card or e-transfer to giving at calvarygrace.ca. And last but not least, just one final announcement. You guys see this big Christmas tree. I can't take that down. So if we have any strong men who would be willing to help me, come find me. And I would really, really appreciate your help. Pass it on to Pastor Rob.
0: Thanks, Michael. Well, for our call to worship this morning, let's flip to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. As we ask the Lord's help to prepare our hearts and our minds to worship him, let's hear these words from Psalm 27, 1 to 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Well, would you pray with me now? So Heavenly Father, even as we gather together this morning on this Lord's Day, even in, even in the Lord's house, as it were, Father, we have come to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That is our heart's desire. And we want to see your beauty even in the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So open our eyes to behold his beauty even now by your Holy Spirit. Attend us now to sing your praises. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise and sing together. Well, as is our practice here at Calvary Grace, we are... uh, Celebrating Communion Sunday this morning, the first Sunday of each month. And as we enter into a new year, it is important to come to the table together. So in order to do that, let's uh, flip to Exodus 16, just for a brief communion meditation. Exodus 16. Exodus 16, and I'm just going to read verses 1 to 3. God's word says this. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Well, just in this brief passage here, we are reminded of how quickly the Israelites, right after they were delivered through the Red Sea in Exodus 15, how quickly they turned against the Lord. They turned against Moses and Aaron, but what we find, what we find out later on in the chapter is, it, ultimately, they were turning against the Lord. They had thought that the Lord had brought them out into the desert so that they would starve to death right after they had experienced the Lord's incredible deliverance. So Psalm 78, actually the psalmist, he offers a bit of a commentary on this incident. Uh, Psalm 78, 19 says this, referring to this event in Exodus 16. It says, they spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God spread a table? A table in the wilderness now while it's very easy to look down our our noses at the Israelites and their sin and unbelief we need to be able to recognize that so often we are so like the Israelites the Lord puts us in hard and difficult circumstances at times in order to test us, and in order to demonstrate his faithfulness. So if you just consider even the the day that we're living in in Canada here, right? These are challenging and hard and even dark times in Canada. And when we look at our circumstances, so often we can actually say in our hearts, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Well, as we approach the Lord's table now, we're reminded that, yes, indeed, he can and he has. The Lord has spread a table in the wilderness. Just as he provided the manna in the desert, this is the episode where he provides manna for his people, and he provided it for the 40 years that they were in the wilderness. So just as as Yahweh provided manna for the Israelites in the desert, even more so, God has provided through his Son, Jesus Christ. He's provided for us, his provision is at the very point of our greatest need. It's at the point where uh, our, our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness which we lack, which is provided for us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's uh, displayed here in these emblems as we consider the Lord's Supper. So God is more than able to provide and to care for us, no matter the situation. And he has demonstrated that through the gospel as we consider the Lord's Supper. Well, with that in mind, I'm going to call the other elders up and we will partake together here. I'm just going to flip to First Corinthians 11. Now, it's important to remember that the Apostle Paul actually tells us in First Corinthians 11 that we are to examine ourselves. So even as, as I've just sort of gone over Exodus 16 a little bit for a community meditation, <clears throat> I think probably sin and unbelief has been exposed in our hearts to varying degrees so we want to examine ourselves paul says in first corinthians first corinthians 11 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the lord let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What, what we need to do now is just take a moment to confess any sin, any unbelief to the Lord, even now as we just prepare our hearts and our minds for this family meal together. Let's just take a moment. Just a reminder as well, as we uh, begin, uh, prepare to take uh, these these elements together. If you're not a believer, this is, just to be clear, this is a, a family meal for believers. That is for Christians, for disciples of Christ. So if you're not a Christian, please just uh, pass the elements by you. We are very happy you're here. Um, we, we hope that you would understand and see that this is the Lord's table is the gospel in picture form. It's the gospel in picture form, representative of the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you are not a believer and you take the scriptures are very clear, you will be eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. So please, uh, do not do that. Um, I'm going to get Pastor Paul now to pr- to pray concerning the body of our Lord.
2: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider now what you have provided for us in your Son, we see Jesus Christ crushed in our place. Your wrath fell on him when it should have fallen on us. And Father, through your Son, you have set us free from sin, But we admit to you, Lord, that so often we prefer familiar prisons. But these are locked from the inside. I pray that you would help us this morning to open up the door that leads to your son and appropriate even what he has won for us on the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: The Apostle Paul recounts for us at the Last Supper that our Lord Jesus Christ had with his disciples. He says this, For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. I'm going to ask Pastor DJ now to pray concerning the cup.
3: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word says that um, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, and we recognize that we are sinners, that we have a sinful nature, and that we uh, Still continue to sin, uh, and that even before your saving work in us, we desired to sin, we loved it. And as we have reflected upon uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt in the wilderness under the first covenant, the old covenant, even receiving your word and your promises, seeing your glory displayed, Lord, we recognize that that covenant could not change their hearts, it didn't provide a new desire to honor and love you and to obey you. And the sacrificial system that was put in place uh, was only a pointer, a pointer forward to the once for all finished sacrifice, namely of your son, in shedding his blood for all of his people who would trust in him. And so in that new covenant, in his blood, we have complete, total forgiveness. We have even a, a new nature or new creation as we have our sinful nature um, paid for by his work and we are made new so that we now desire to obey and honor you. And so Lord would you uh, through this time as we partake together remembering that shed blood, that once for all sacrifice that did indeed pay for our sins, Lord may uh, it grant us great joy as we recognize that we are now in the beloved, that we are completely forgiven, And we have great joy in loving you and serving you and obeying you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Just consider these words from our Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Well, there is one more important part of the Lord's Supper, of this family meal. And it's remembering that Christ is returning. He is coming to take us home. To uh, restore, to renew and restore this fallen world. To usher in a new heavens and a new earth. Verse 26 says this, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we've just done here, even now. I'm going to get Pastor Jeff to pray uh, concerning this reality. Let's pray
4: together. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we recognize the proneness of our hearts to wander, We recognize the proneness of our hearts to grumble against you. And yet, Lord, we have celebrated and we have seen and tasted your goodness once again in the Gospel of your Son. We thank you for his shed blood. We thank you that he came not only to give bread, but to be bread. And we thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate this day that there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. Thank you for your great rescue in sending your son. And Father, as we have ate and drank to proclaim your death until you return, we pray that you would give us boldness as a people to spread your word far and wide through the discipling of one another, uh, through even our witness at work to our family members. We pray, Lord, that the gospel would speed across this land, and we pray that you would bring revival by your spirit, Throughout this city, throughout this region, throughout this province, throughout this nation, we pray for the global cause of Christ throughout this world, Lord, that you would bring your own home and that you would help us even to have this great hope that those whom you save, you will complete that good work in them and carry it through. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us joy and we pray that you would give us gratitude. And we ask, Lord, that you would even do a work even through the the monetary gifts that we give. Use these gifts to the spread of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.
0: Let's stand and sing.
5: Please turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament and to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Oh Father, we come to you now needing your mercy. Needing your goodness and your mercy, I pray that you pour out your love upon us now, and that your Holy Spirit would operate in such a way that we would really meet with Christ, even the Good Shepherd this morning. Do a work in our hearts for your glory, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, according to a recent Forbes magazine survey, losing weight, getting fitter, and a healthy diet are in the top five New Year's resolutions for 2024. Does this resonate with any of you here this morning? You've started already, haven't you? The keep fit, the new diet, and why is that? Well, we've just come out of a season of feasting and festivities in homes with families and friends. And maybe we've just eaten a bit too much. Many of us have been hosts or guests or both in this last couple of weeks. And it's been a great delight uh, for me personally to see how families in this church offer to host anyone who didn't have somewhere to go on Christmas day. It was a remarkable thing. Emails went out and, and people were served because hospitality is real evidence that grace has gripped the heart. Hospitality is real evidence that grace has gripped the heart. And this is the picture that we have in this final part of Psalm 23, a final part of Psalm 23, the host and his guests. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6. As we've journeyed together through this psalm, We've seen the metaphors move from the shepherd with his sheep in verses one to three, to the companion with his traveler in verse four, and now to the host with his guest in verses five to six. And yet the shepherd theme continues through, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, but look, my companion is also my shepherd because he carries a rod and staff in verse four. And the shepherd companion to whom David says, you are with me, in verse 4, is the same you who is the host in verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table for me. You anoint my head with oil. So my shepherd companion is my shepherd host. Therefore, what we're meant to see are the different aspects of our shepherd's total care. That's what we're meant to see here. And as we've seen how Jesus is the the fulfillment of this psalm as our good shepherd, we here this morning, if you're a Christian, you can take comfort in the whole of life with him because he actively takes full responsibility for you. Whether in green pastures, by still waters, or in dark valleys, or in enemy territory, he is there leading, protecting, and providing with perfect, sovereign love. And he's taking us all the way home to heaven. He's doing it. You see how the Lord's actions in the psalm are causative. He makes me lie down. He leads. He restores. He comforts me with rod and staff. He prepares. He anoints. So as we walk through this final part of the psalm and we experience the, the, the pilgrim's progress through the eyes of David, I want you simply to rest in the arms of your shepherd host, and realize his love for you. That's what I want. As by the Holy Spirit, you encounter him through this word today, and he meets with you right here in this place, in this time. I want you to see at the beginning of a new year that things end well for the Christian. I want you to know that the end of the matter is not a dark ba- a valley or a battlefield with enemies. It's feasting and It's fellowship. That's the end of the matter. So that you can say with David the third of the three great confessions in in these verses, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Confession one, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Confession two, because the Lord is my companion, I will not fear. And confession three, because the Lord is my host, I shall dwell. So friends, this morning, Let your affections be rewired by thinking rightly about what it means to have God with you, even Jesus the Good Shepherd, because it's not primarily about how much you love Him, it's about how much He loves you. It's about how much He loves you, not because you deserve it, but because He chooses to love you. You see, it's in realizing that Jesus dies for me. And Jesus, the God man, is my shepherd, companion, host, that I'm empowered to make the pilgrim's progress through mountaintop experiences and dark valleys and with enemies all around. You see, it's his overwhelming love for me that's the fount that causes me to forsake my sin and follow him. And therefore, I can do it with joy, a joy that just can't be touched. So let's savor the flavor of our lord jesus as we see three things about him in verses five to six. First, i want us to see the liberality of my host the liberality of my host you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows the picture here is of a host serving a meal to his guest in the midst of war the enemies could likely be pointing to a real situation when David, if you know your Old Testament, was on the run from Saul, and we read about it in 2 Samuel 17, and, and he's fed by some soldiers when he's surrounded by enemies. But I think the lack of specificity here, uh, the, the, the lack of definiteness, if you like, gives us room to maybe view the enemies, at least by way of application, as the world, the flesh, and the devil physical and spiritual enemies that seek to destroy the Christian and so here's a picture of lavish generous provision in the battle against enemies here is a picture of the liberality of the Lord towards those in his care it's overflowing goodness and personal care friends just, just notice the intimacy of the language. You prepare. David is, is, is carrying on his dialogue from speaking to God in the valley to speaking to God on the battlefield. You are with me To you prepare. You do it, O Lord. Is that how you commune with God? With reverent praise for what He does for you? An intimate fellowship using the you with God. You do it, Lord. You are great. You are merciful. You are powerful. You do it, Lord. The Hebrew word for prepare means to lay things out in order. It's used of the Levitical ministry of of, of the priests with regards to setting out the altar and the burnt offerings. It speaks of precision and careful attention to detail. To prepare a table was to lay out a feast ready for your guests and to have them linger in your company as they were refreshed. It wasn't eggs on toast and rush them out the door. It was generous and liberal hospitality. And so the anointing of the head with oil and an overflowing cup, think of the anointing of kings and priests in the Old Testament. Think of the the precious oil that ran down Aaron's beard in Psalm 133, this overflow, this flowing. In the East it was and still is a sign of honoring a guest by pouring festive perfumed oil on their head and men are known less by their possessions and more by means of their liberality and generosity of hospitality in the East. That's how they're known. They're known by how they entertain their guests. Maybe you've experienced that kind of host, a warm welcome as they take your coats, a well-set table with your name place setting there, the best china, silverware polished, never leaving you without a drink. They can't do enough for you as they serve you. And notice this, you prepare, you anoint, and by inference, you fill my cup to overflowing. In David's day, the master of the house wouldn't prepare the meal, he, he made the invitation, he, he paid for the meal, but his wife and her servants prepared the food. Like Abraham, if you remember in Genesis 18, when the Lord appears to him in the, in the form of three men and he rushes home, you remember? And he tells Sarah, his wife, to, to make some bread and, and then he gives a, a calf to his servant to cook. But here, the Lord, the great I Am, is preparing the table himself. Friends, what kind of God are we dealing with here? What kind of love is this? such is his liberality and his personal love you know sometimes when we think of of god's liberality and grace we focus more on his saving power and not so much on his personal attention and service to those he saves but it's as if he says you're so precious to me you're so precious to me that i'll give you only the best and i'm going to prepare it and i'm going to serve it myself nothing else will do for the one I love. You feel loved like that by God? With enemies all around, Jesus our Good Shepherd says, sit down and eat. Let me host you at my table. Rest your head back and let me anoint you with the finest oil. More wine in your cup, perfect peace in the midst of the battle. God spreads a table in the wilderness, even as Pastor Rob has read from Exodus. So, friends, if you're weary, if you're worn down by the trials of life, there are there are few things more refreshing, aren't they? Are there that, than a good meal prepared for you by someone else? It's why, in this church, through our mercy ministry, we are, we arrange meals for our members in times of need to refresh them, to sustain them during the battle. And maybe I could gently encourage all of you here, with whatever means you have, to reflect the liberality of God in being hospitable. On this text, Kenneth Bailey makes the insightful point in his book, The Good Shepherd. He says that the meaning of preparing a table in the presence of enemies is costly love. Costly love. That's what he says he's speaking about. Jesus demonstrates costly love to me even with enemies watching, knowing that hostility will be provoked towards him and me because of his liberal welcome. Do you remember what Jesus says? The Son of Man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus eats and drinks with sinners like you and me as our friend, even the one who lays down his life for his friends, and people don't like it. It's costly love. So Jesus prepares a table for his friends on the night he was betrayed with enemies all around, and even Judas in his midst. Judas, who left that night to do his worst, with a full belly and a satisfied thirst. So that Jesus can say in anticipation of the cross, this bread is my body broken for you. This cup in the new covenant is poured out in my blood. Eat, drink, remember. Our host prepares a table in the presence of his enemies and feeds us with his body and blood by defeating the enemies of Satan and sin on the cross and the enemy of death when he rose from the grave. Jesus thirsted so we would never have to thirst again. And Jesus drank down the cup of God's wrath so our cup of God's blessing would overflow. What costly love is this? And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, as we've just done, when we see our sin and we see our Emmanuel, Savior, host, And we see a love feast. We rejoice as we eat and drink. We reaffirm covenant and communion with Him and with one another. And fellowship is restored. And enemies become friends. And the people of God are defined at the table. That's what it means. And that's why we linger on the Lord's Supper, you see. That's why we don't rush. It's not eggs on toast and rush out the door. So do you see how God welcomes you? Do you see that, that He's not stingy? Okay, today, here, you've messed up. You've, you've failed again. You've lost heart, maybe. Well, okay. Now turn to God and admit it. And what do you see when you look at Him? What do you see? A God who says, all right, but do a bit better next time. No, look again, look again at God through this text. You see a God with open arms running to meet you and and throwing his arms around you and saying like the father in in the parable of the prodigal son, here's a ring and here's a robe and a feast, sit down and eat and drink. And yet you say, no, don't go to that much trouble. I don't want to be a burden. Just treat me like one of your servants. And God says, no, you're my son. You're my, you're my daughter. You're my child. Now sit down and rest. Rest your head on my lap. Let me anoint you. Ever thought of that? God, God anointing you. And let me fill your cup so you never thirst again. Brothers and sisters, let me put it to you that we don't know the grace of God well enough. We don't know the grace of God well enough. We struggle to receive grace, don't we? Don't, no, don't go to too much trouble. We wanna feel like we earn God's liberality, his hospitality, because you know, then we can feel better about ourselves. So treat me like a servant and not a son, we say. Instead of a liberal father, shepherd, host who who welcomes us to the table, we see God as a stingy taskmaster, and then we become stingy. We are not hospitable, physically or spiritually. We're not generous with our our money or our time or forgiveness towards others. Some people are glass-half-full people, aren't they? Some are glass-half-empty. But when I realize the costly liberality of God, I see I have a cup that isn't half full or half empty. It's overflowing. And it's overflowing with blessing towards me. Overflowing with blessing towards me. And I'm overflowingly satisfied. And you know what this must mean? Overflow to others through me. You see, the one whose cup is not overflowing, is dissatisfied. And that tends towards envy and criticism and anxiety. Instead, gratitude and joy spills out of the cup of contentment. How then can I grumble? How, how then can I gossip about people? How can I bite and devour another person? when I have such an overflowing cup. You remember Jesus with the sinful woman forgiven at Simon's house in Luke chapter seven. Remember she anointed his head with oil and how Jesus pointed out that those who are forgiven much love much, but those who have not been forgiven, who have been forgiven little, love little. Friends, those who won't forgive are strangers to the lavish liberality and the overflowing cup of God's grace. Now there's a warning for every one of us here today. If you are stingy with forgiveness, you will prove that you're not saved and spend eternity in hell unforgiven. And so we put to death hostility and we overflow with hospitality. Fighting turns to forgiving and war turns to welcome in the Christian life. And there is a welcome from any of you here today who wants to come and sit down with Jesus at His table. He's a lavishly liberal host, you know. He hasn't come to hit you with a club. He's come to welcome you with a cup. So come, today, come. Come with your sin and guilt, however much there is of it. And you hear Jesus say as he meets you at the door, let me take that cloak of sin and guilt from you. And I'll hang it on that cross over there. Put this robe on instead. It's made by divine righteousness. Now welcome. Sit down and eat. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So see the liberality of my host. Second, see the loyalty of my host. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word for follow is actually better translated pursue. It carries a sense of intensity in that it can be translated as hunt, where someone is actually being pursued to death. But here it it carries intensity with positivity because goodness and mercy are the pursuers you see it there they're not merely ambling along watching from behind David they're actively coming after him sent by God to to man mark him if you like so think of it like this whatever will pursue the Christian the world the flesh the devil goodness and mercy are out pursuing them they won't let you go. This is the loyalty love of the shepherd host. I've told some of you this before, but many years ago, I was doing a weekend of uh, evangelism in Northern Ireland. It's a place, if you don't know, that has had much religious strife uh, through the IRA. It was a war zone for many years when, when we were growing up in, in the UK. Bombings, shootings, Terrorism, way before 9-11. The Troubles, they called it. And this event I was speaking at was in one of those areas where the tensions were still running high. And the church sent this huge guy to pick me up from the airport. He was a former Belfast policeman. And he was carrying a gun. And he said to me, you never know what can happen at these events. Which worried me. Then he said, but don't worry, when you speak, I've got your back. It was encouraging to know that I had my own personal bodyguard following me. And friends, you have two personal bodyguards following you all the way to heaven. They're called goodness and mercy, and they won't let you go. They won't let you go. They'll hold you fast. Charles Spurgeon says, these twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and at my back, but I think we need to go further than than the bodyguard guardian angel image that Spurgeon sets forth just look at the pursuers their goodness and mercy personified they are in fact attributes of God so it's the Lord himself who is pursuing us God is good God is mercy God's goodness is, is that which is moral and pleasant and useful and beautiful and healthy and moreover the word for mercy is actually steadfast love it speaks of his covenant love his loving kindness and faithfulness it is as some theologians put it god's loyal love and so the relational aspect of god with us is emphasized david sinned greatly You know that if you know anything about the life of David. David was sinned against greatly. And through his own folly and the wickedness of evil men, much of the time it probably didn't seem like David was being pursued by God's goodness and loyalty love. But he was. David says it himself here in the psalm. In fact, he uses that word surely. Surely goodness and mercy or loyalty love will follow or pursue me all the days of my life surely we can understand that surely as guaranteed in light of the Lord being my shepherd companion and host and his total care for me goodness and mercy are guaranteed to follow me and that's true but also if you look in your Bibles you might see a little footnote for that word surely and what does it say at the bottom only only goodness And loyal love shall follow me i think both meanings are in play goodness and loyal love are guaranteed and only goodness and loyal love pursue me friends as you look back over your shoulder in life can you say with david god is good and he has only ever done me good and God is love, and He has only ever been loving to me all the days of my life. In my trials, and tragedies, and disappointments, and failures, in all my sinful slip ups, there are no days, no days when you fail me and send harm or hatred, and not goodness and loyal love. No days. Every day, all the time, pursuing you. Even in your most difficult days, friends, God is doing you good, and God is loving you. In the moment of pain, I know, it's sometimes hard for us to feel it, isn't it? I know what many of you have gone through and are going through. It's hard to feel it. But let us never blaspheme our Lord and charge Him with wrong. It's better to wait in patient, reverent silence and go to Him in prayer. And let me encourage you. When the valley seems so dark and your enemies are so overwhelming, in time, in time, you look back over your shoulder. And even though you perhaps never understand the why, of why it happened that way. You'll see the who, the one who was hunting you down with goodness and loyal love. He's the Lord Himself. And maybe then you'll say the words of Psalm 139, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. I recently emailed with a a friend, a man of great Christian maturity, and he, he finished his email with, be good to your wife, Gavin. Be good to your wife, Gavin. Some of you husbands, you'll remember pursuing your wife back in the day, or recently, more recently for some of you, a few newlyweds around, it'll speak to some of you husbands-to-be who have just proposed. You had to work hard to win her, didn't you, as you pursued her? But never forget this, you must keep pursuing her with goodness and loyal love all the days of your life and her life, whether she deserves it or not. Only goodness, only loyal love. Not sometimes goodness and loyal love and sometimes harshness and criticism, no. If you're a Christian man, you are like Jesus, the good shepherd, the good husband, and you lay down your life for her and you keep coming after her. Loving her, leading her, protecting, providing, preserving, never forsaking her. There's a template here, isn't there, for you men if you will be good shepherds of your wives and families. And the picture is the relentless, loyal love of God. Like the loyal love that we love to celebrate at wedding anniversaries. We see it's good and we say, well done. Brothers and sisters, See the liberality of my host. Second, see the loyalty of my host. And thirdly, and finally, see longevity with my host. Longevity with my host. Auntie May. Auntie May was a relative on my father's side of the family whom I never met. She's dead now, but Auntie May was famous. She'd suddenly turn up at your doorstep, unannounced and uninvited, with two suitcases in tow, and then she'd stay for a month. She was known as the guest who never leaves. And so we come to the end of the journey in Psalm 23, and the picture of the guest who never leaves. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the shepherd has been with us, leading us to green pastures, still waters, restoring souls to right paths, giving personal protection to comfort us in the valley, providing liberal overflowing refreshment to sustain us in the battle with enemies, and pursuing us with goodness and loyal love as we press on with home in sight. We hunger for home, don't we? I think we do. The forever home. We speak about that forever home, don't we? I think Amanda and I have been nomadic in the sense that we've had 16 different addresses in our married life. I remember we bought a house in 2004 in Kent in England. And she said to me, tell me we'll never move from here. I love this house. So I told her, we'll never move from here. <laughs> and four years later, we moved to Canada. Canada. Canada where we've made a home, yet still feel away from home in England to some extent. There's never a day goes by when I don't think of England and my parents and my sister and, and family and where we grew up, home. When we go away from home for a while, we experience homesickness, don't we? Parted from the, the people and place that we love. Many of you know that. They say absence makes the heart grow fonder. So we even forget the the bad stuff about home. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks about homesickness as the, quote, worst of natural afflictions, unquote. He tells a story of being on a train leaving London and he's sitting in a carriage with two small girls who are actually returning to boarding school and they're looking out of the window and, and they're crying as they wave goodbye to their mother," says Lloyd-Jones here. "'I'm not ashamed to say that I lifted the book I was reading to hide my face, and I cried with the little girls. I was back," in his mind, "'I was back in my lodgings at Tregaron,' which is home. I was back there once again. I believe that I shall never totally recover from this until I reach the country where we shall meet, never to part anymore.'" There's something so painful and yet so right about homesickness. It is, in a sense, what good preaching should do to create a sense of hunger for home in the heart. So you're never too comfortable in this world and you long, you long for heaven where you never have to say goodbye to those you love and where you dwell with the Jesus you love. Because, friends, you and I were made to dwell with God in fellowship with Him. Our sin has broken that fellowship. And Psalm 23, you see, is about the God who's come to restore that fellowship and to take us home. The word dwell could even be translated return. I will return home. A verse from the 1868 hymn, The King of Love My Shepherd Is, says... Perverse and foolish, oft I strayed, but in his love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. This is the story of the gospel, brothers and sisters, that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost and take them home. Are you in a far country today? Far away from him, like the prodigal, eating pigswill? Will you come to your senses today and return home? Jesus tells his disciples, in my Father's house are many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And John writes in Revelation, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the house of the Lord. Eden renewed, but even grander. Fellowship with God, never to be broken again in God's house, house. And, and you know your, your host will prepare a table, a feast. It's gonna be called the marriage supper of the lamb, and there'll be no enemies surrounding you, no sin, no Satan, no fallen world. And friends, that is your forever home. That's your forever home. So do you think and speak in forever language? Or are you caught up in fighting for things in this temporal world? Are you grasping at things that are fading away? Or are you living in light of eternity for length of days? That's how it can be translated forever. For length of days in this life with the host and always with the host. Longevity with the host. So that's it. Liberality, loyalty, longevity. That's the third now of three in Psalm 23. But I just want to leave you with this story. It's actually mentioned in David Gibson's book on this psalm, George MacDonald wrote to Lady Mount Temple following the death of her husband in 1888. He describes in his letter to her, a grieving widow, he describes a house with with windows on all sides. Out of one side you look and you see this world, garden torn and trampled. The other side, you look and you see soaring mountains and shooting stars and you see Jesus coming to comfort you. And MacDonald writes, this world, if it were alone, would not be worth much. I should be miserable already. But it is the porch to the Father's home. And he does not expect us to be quite happy. And he knows we must sometimes be very unhappy Until we get there, we are getting near. Good words. Friends, you're on the porch of your father's house. You're on a pilgrimage. But the way is hard, and at times you may be sad and tired. Tired of fighting sin. Tired of difficult relationships. Tired of feeling unwell. Tired of being tired. But weary saint, remember this you are totally cared for on the journey, totally. You have a shepherd to lead you, to be your companion and walk you through the valley, to be your host, to sustain you in the battle and pursue you with goodness and love. Brothers and sisters, you're on the way to the house of the Lord, you're going home and your host will be there to open the door and welcome you with open arms. Lord Jesus, we pray in the words of the old hymn, and so through all the length of days, your goodness fails me never. Good shepherd, may I sing your praise within your house forever. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing the words of this psalm, the Lord's my shepherd.
6: My shepherd, I want. He lays me down, pastures me. He In the mist, restores my soul, and I will trust in you alone and I will trust in you alone. For your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. He guides my ways in righteousness, and he anoints my head with awe, and my cup Close with
5: joy Stay 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 with Granddad.
6: Well. The evil one, your earth, be and rod stop are the comfort I need to know, and I will trust in you alone, and I will trust in you alone for your endless mercy follows me your goodness will lead me home
5: i've picked up a little sheep here wandering from the fold but i pray that all of you young people would know the lord is your shepherd i pray that we'd all know the lord as our loving shepherd just hear these words from revelation As a benediction when we get home to our forever home. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Go in peace. You're dismissed.
6: Oh, his grandma. Have you seen grandma? Have you seen grandma? Look, she's there. You wanna go see her?